This is Loudspeaker. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Menares, and you're listening to the We Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk. Here we navigate the messy human experience together. We raise our voices and speak our truth. In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth, and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. You're listening to episode number 99. In this episode, I get to talk with Kirsten Helgeson. Kirsten is the founder of Just a Girl, which is a social enterprise using technology to foster inclusive mental health and women's empowerment efforts globally. Some of the initiatives of Just a Girl include Girl Talk Radio, which is the first streaming service for podcasting and multimedia content created by women, Privilege Awakening is a psychological framework for understanding privilege. And the mental health barometer is tracking the evolving mental health of people globally. And then lastly is SIYA, S-I-Y-A, an app-based personal mental health buddy. So in this episode, we talk about going beyond the superficial and connecting with one another in a deeper way. We chat about women empowerment, elevating women's voices, inclusive mental health, and how important our emotions are. Kirsten has worked with women all over the world and has a heart to create global community for all of us. I'm really excited for you to hear from her. So here we go. Here's my interview with Kirsten. I am so excited to have the amazing Kirsten Helgeson here with me today. Kirsten is such an amazing woman doing so many amazing and beautiful things for women all around the world. And I got the pleasure of getting to meet her and get to know her a little bit when she was a main speaker at an event that I hosted two years ago. Natalie brought you and I hadn't met you. And so Kirsten came and she was absolutely amazing. And I've been wanting to get you on here forever. So here we are. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Sarah. I mean, honestly, I just love all of the work that you do. You are so fantastic at holding safe space for people to bring their whole selves, no matter if it's the beautiful or the terrible. I feel like we've, we're kindred spirits in many ways, and I'm just so excited to talk to you too. It's so much different to have a conversation with somebody who is like, no, 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 let's not do the superficial stuff. Let's just dive right in. <laughs> I remember one of our very first conversations. We were having a conversation about like probably one of my deepest, darkest secrets, and I had just met you. <laughs> <laughs> I have that way. I don't know what it is, but like, I mean, I have, I just like get to the heart of things with people. And I honestly, like in this crazy world that we live in with so many difficult things happening and so much change, like undulating all around us. I think it's those kinds of like truly deep heartfelt conversations that make each of us feel safe with each other again and seen and to help us like foster that sense of community that we just desperately need in these days. Yes, we do. Yeah. So can you give us just a a rundown kind of of your story? What's really brought you to where you are today and, and really nurtured your heart for what you're doing? Oh, this is a weird wonky path I've taken. <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson said, take the beaten path or whatever it happens to be. I did that. I like found, you know, like a machete and started like whacking through a forest basically to find my path. Sometimes a girl just needs a machete and to carve her own path, right? Totally. And that was me. So I was actually corporate for about 12 years. And so 
Um, in my corporate girl years, I was always focused on like corporate social responsibility, strategic philanthropy, diversity and inclusion, change management, like all of that sort of like really warm, fuzzy, happy stuff. And it was really wonderful in lots of ways because I got to see what a lot of power and money and privilege and opportunity can do in this world. And it can do beautiful, amazing things. But I also got to see how slowly it moves at the same time, how much red tape there is. And I felt like I wanted to kind of set out on my own path and start to change the world myself a little bit. Like there's this, there's this feeling that like I want to dig my hands into the earth and see what can happen from that. I left corporate uh, five years ago almost, which is just crazy to me. My first thing was joining a startup that was in Austin focused on supporting women entrepreneurs globally. And the organization itself just was not what I wanted to be involved in. And there were some challenges with all of that. But what I got out of it were really fantastic relationships. And it was one of those experiences that like my path was going in one direction and then it totally made it take like a right turn, you know, like it changed, fundamentally changed the course of my path. And it was doing that work that I started working with the United Nations Foundation and their Girl Up campaign that focuses on leadership development for girls all over the world. And it was also during that time that I started doing um, international disaster relief work and specifically around psychosocial healing, mental health support and basic needs support. So the, the first place I jumped into doing disaster relief work was in Haiti three days after Hurricane Matthew had swoop, like swoop, swooped through. And it was just totally eye-opening, I would say, to one, be in a hurricane zone like that is, is uh, a unique opportunity. But then two, to be in a country like Haiti, which has experienced such drastic amounts of systemic oppression over such a long period of time. And to see those inequalities happening like in front of me was like a very pivotal experience, I would say. And then two weeks after that, I started doing work in refugee camps in Greece and like jumping into like understanding the Afghani refugee crisis and what it means to walk across a continent carrying a child on your back. And like all of those kinds of things that we, especially in the U.S., we don't want to kind of really admit exist in this world. Like that level of pain and suffering is something we just kind of shy away from because it's too too hard to look at. And so sitting there and, and figuring out how to connect with people in those spaces and realizing that we're one big, large human family. I joke with people, and I, I don't know if joking is the right word, but I like to say that my heart was broken and rebuilt by the love of refugees and orphans. I realized in that kind of very deep, dark, difficult space that I needed to start kind of bringing all of the different universes in my life together into something with cohesion and meaning. Like I didn't go to all of these different places and do all of these different things to just not use them. Mm -hmm. And so that was when I started to figure out how do I build my own organization that aligns all of these things that I've done, these places I've been, like, how do I build bridges through all of this? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like a straightforward, like, I think sometimes people think like you start a company and you just know exactly what you're going to do from the start and you just do it. That was, that was not my path. There was a lot of trial and error, especially at the beginning. Like what I thought I was building was not where we ended up. There's a lot of frustration and learning how to let go and that sort of thing. But all of that had a lot of purpose because I spent all of my money building an organization that was not going to happen. And so, or that needed to evolve, I guess. It was December of 2018 and it was Christmas time, right? So I was needed to buy more presents. And I was like, okay, we've run out of the money that we saved building something that clearly isn't working. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. And so I did what most people do during that time. I'm like, let's get scrappy, right? And so I decided I'm going to try driving Uber for one day. I filled out all of the paperwork. I did all of the stuff, got it all done and taken care of. And I turned it on and saying, I would pick people up and take them places. And the first person I picked up was this guy in his mid 40s who was an entrepreneur with a startup and he had a business colleague with him. They were talking about raising a fundraising round for their organization, like an investment round. And so they were going on about like they have connections in China, but they don't know if they want to take Chinese money and colleague, like, do they have connections at JP Morgan? And like, they were literally going through like the straight white male investment conversations for startups. And there was a lull in their conversation. And I was like, 
oh, so what does your organization do? And he told me it was like a health, a heart health organization. Like, okay, awesome. Well, do you have any like AI or machine learning embedded into your system? And he looked at me like, like I was crazy. And he's like, yeah, we have an algorithm. I'm like, oh, that's great. So are you raising series B, series A, series C? Where are you at in the round? He was like, I guess we're, we're raising a B round. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. And he went silent for like 30 seconds, which felt, felt like an eternity. And the only response he could muster up was, what do you do? Because he wanted to know, like, why am I asking these really good questions? So I gave him a bit, a bit about my background. And then there was another like 30 seconds of silence. And then he's like, wow, good luck to you. And that was the only thing that this man could say to me. And then they could no longer talk business in front of me. And so then they went on to start talking about boats. And then when I dropped them off at their location, the only thing, again, he could muster up was good luck to you. And then he closed the door on me. And then a couple riders later, I had this financial advisor in his mid-30s, and I worked at a financial services organization for a long time. So we were talking a lot about like his job and how hard it is, and he was having some challenges. And he was starting to talk about how he gets underestimated quite a bit. And so I had told him about this writer that I had earlier in the day, and he started full out laughing. And he said, you know, you don't understand. You were just a girl and just an Uber driver at that. You weren't supposed to be anything more than that. I went home that night and I wrote up all of this experience like in just a post on a closed Facebook group for women founders. And it just lit up like a Christmas tree. Like all these women were just plugging in and talking about it. And it was clear that I had something more that I needed to do with all of that. And so I took a week and I break, like did a lot of breathing. And then I started, I would start just a girl a week after that with the notion that like, we as women are so much more than just a girl. And it's time we talk about that. It's time we showcase that, like talk about the hard things and create solutions that actually help women get further, faster together, basically. Oh my gosh. I did not know this story. So <laughs> it's amazing how the universe drops things in our lap, right? Like here, here's the experience you need to take you to the next place you need to be. Oh, right. But like if I wouldn't have had spent all of that time, energy and money building something that wasn't going to work, I would have gotten in that car that day to pick up that man who needed to treat me in that way mm -hmm. in order for me to talk about it and to realize that I needed to do something else. Right. Yeah. You said a couple of things that I think are, are important to kind of spend a little bit of time on. And you left your corporate job to essentially pursue your passion and and pursue your heart calling rather than the corporate. And I can't tell you how many people, well, I, I'm sure you're well aware, like there are so many people, I see them a lot in therapy, who are so unhappy with their jobs. They hate their jobs. They don't like going there. You know, they are these corporate whatever jobs. And but the courage that it takes to take that leap to say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Can you talk a little bit about that for you? Because that is such a game changer. The golden handcuffs are powerful, right? Like the, the predictable income, the benefits and the predictability that it comes with it, the comfort, the safety, like it's a really easy thing to just kind of fall, a pattern to fall into, right? Because I mean, our lives are kind of built around this need for steady income and we have, you know, homes to pay for and cars to pay for and vacations to go on and children and all of that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I got to this point in my corporate career and like I was in the cushy, like the, the warm, fuzzy part of corporate, right? But also like hard and challenging too. I mean, change management and diversity and inclusion, especially in the corporate space are never the easiest of things, but it was heartfelt and meaningful and meaty. And I loved that. But like I realized even within an evolving corporate space that if I wanted to continue to move up, you have to start playing a different kind of ball game that protects leadership in different kinds of ways. And I know for myself, that wasn't what I wanted. Like I didn't want my, my success to come at the sacrifice of other people. I knew that at some point within the corporate space, I was going to have to make those kinds of decisions. And I preemptively decided to opt out of those types of decisions because I didn't think they were 
aligned with who I was as a human being and what I believe in and all of those different bits and pieces. And so that was a fundamental decision for me that like my success has to be collaborative success. It can't be sacrificial success like that. I've always had this big desire to make the world a better place, to align like the work that I do with what I believe in. And, you know, like, especially when we're in the diversity and inclusion space, we talk about the notion of like uniting your head to your heart, to your hands. And so like, I can't ask other people to do those kinds of things, like to, to unite their heart, their minds with the work that they do, if I'm not willing to do that for myself. And so I had to then make different kinds of choices that forced me to align the, like my, my values and my, my heart with the things that I do in this world and the knowledge that I have. It was like one of those kinds of fundamental decisions. Like I can't live in safety for the, like all of these reasons why safety is so wonderful, like comfort is so wonderful. The long-term sacrifices I would have to maintain, like have to maintain that kind of like approach to, to maintain that safety and that comfort meant that I'd have to sacrifice the things I believed in and side, like put on the, the side the things that I wanted to do. And in the long run, those costs were too heavy. So like even the golden handcuffs of comfort and safety of corporate just couldn't outweigh the long-term sadness and failure that would come if I didn't try something else. I'd rather try and fail and know I tried and failed than like not try at all. Right. Yeah. Just such a, like allowing yourself to be led by your internal compass, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's huge. I do a women's mastermind where it's all business women and I love that space. And I know that it's so common to start a business. I mean, I personally am not anywhere near (laughs) where I was when I started out. And a lot of people see that as failure. Like a lot of women, they take it personally. They think they did something wrong. They think they wasted their time. And so I love how you really talk about, you know, it needed to happen. So what would you say to those women who are listening right now? Because I know there are some listening that maybe feel like they, they shouldn't have gone a different direction or, or that, that failure is weighing heavy on them. I love to see success flourish around me. Like it's wonderful when you like see these little buds of thing ideas that you created and to see them like bloom into beautiful flowers and like impact people. Like all, we all love that. And that's all as women, I think what we hope for, but there are times where you plant flowers that do not bloom or don't even grow in the first place. And like, I think sometimes culturally we're told that our, measure of success is not in the business space, that we're not, we shouldn't be starting businesses that we're not worth investing in, that we're not worth all of that sort of stuff, that we should be home, that we should be following specific kinds of gender norms and all of that garbage that socially is kind of packed into women. Mm -hmm. And so we come to the starting line with like all of this like psychological underpinning of like, I don't know if I'm going to succeed and I don't know if I'm worth investing in or I don't know if I can build the kinds of difficult things that need to be built. And so I think that that's a part of it too, because like from the gate, we're just kind of like almost socially set up for failure. Like there's not a lot of support and psychological underpinning to support ourselves in our journeys. But then like inevitably in every single person's journey, you're going to encounter some kind of failure. Like your, your flowers are not going to bloom. Your plants will die. And instead I think of internalizing it and saying it's a problem with me. Like I'm, wrong or broken or whatever it happens to be this like internal dialogue that we have Mm -hmm. we I try to look at it as like this is a lesson from the universe that this is not my door like this is not the path I'm supposed to take this wasn't supposed to happen and that means that it's my job to find the other door that's mine the other path that's mine like somewhere around here like it's somewhere Mm. I just need to find it and so like for me I see failure now as like the universe co-creating with me. It's saying, okay, this isn't the path you're supposed to take. Maybe it's a a full no, like you're never supposed to go down this path. Maybe it's like a not right now kind of thing or Mm. hold off a little bit, but like this isn't the direction you're supposed to be going in. But instead there's this really cool window over here if you check that out. And so like, that's my job is to figure out where those yeses are, where the windows are and like go through those, which means that like I constantly have to like, 
push down the emotion of failure. Like I'm a failure. I'm bad. I'm broken. I create bad things and instead say, okay, this just isn't my door. This isn't my path. Where's the window? How can I find it? Thank you universe for showing me that this is not the path to take. Mm. And instead turning it into like an opportunity to learn and grow and with gratitude, right? Because some of those paths, like what's that quote? Like some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Like Mm -hmm. I also think that applies to business. And so like we need to kind of take that approach of like, it's okay if something fails. Yeah. And the other quote I was thinking of when you were talking is sometimes people, I, I'm terrible at relaying quotes correctly, but (laughs) it's something along the lines of people miss their opportunities because they spend too long staring at the closed door that they don't see the open window. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that people shouldn't grieve failure. Like as part, like especially women, we create, we build, we grow, we nurture. So like seeing something that we poured our heart, souls, and energy into mm-hmm. is sad when it doesn't work out. And so like grieve that. Be like, okay, I need to honor this loss here. But like I also need to not like set up camp here. Mm-hmm. Like don't set up camp and failure because you're just going to get stuck and not see that window right over there. It's clearly yours. Yeah. Let's talk about your TED Talk. So it's called The Impact of Emotion, Saving the World While Saving Ourselves. For those of you who are listening, after you're done listening to this, you can go over, listen to Kirsten's TED Talk. It's amazing. In the very beginning, you're talking about your niece and how you want her to go into the world and, you know, take the world by the horns. Is that kind of how it's... (laughs) Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to to be fearless, to not be held back, essentially. And one of the questions that you pose is, do I deserve to take up the space that comes with having all of these choices? And that one really stopped me in my tracks because I think as women, a lot of us don't feel like we deserve to take up space. So can you speak a little bit more to that? I know I can like, we all need to like take a big deep breath because there's, yeah, uh, we all like, <laughs> like, I, we all feel that. Like, even when you say that question again, it's like, do I do like, I still, all these years, like, I still feel that way. Right. Like this is yeah. a question that never really goes away. And I think that being an auntie and see having these like beautiful girls around me and seeing them and wanting them to literally be able to grab life fully with both hands and like live fearlessly and do all of these amazing things and to say yes and to say no and to make choices on their own terms. Like I realized that like, if I wanted them to have that, that I needed to first give that to myself because the best way to do those things is by seeing someone else around you do them that you love and adore. And so realizing, do I deserve to take up all that space? Like what does that mean? Do I, am I good enough to take up that space? Like all of those like deep, dark questions come up. And I know for myself, like across my whole life, there's always been this, like, take up as least amount of space as possible. Say as few words as you can, like mm-hmm. smile pretty, just like be really nice. Don't make waves. Don't rattle the, the fences, you know, like just be the good girl that everyone wants you to be. I realized that like, that kind of good girl that everyone wants me to be is in direct conflict with my notion of do I deserve to take up space? And so I have to reconcile those on a daily basis, I would say, about like, am I the good girl or am I taking up space because I choose to, because I deserve it, because my voice matters, because who I am matters in this world. And I have beautiful, important things that I can add value to the people and the world around me. Those are kind of questions that I ask myself still every day, even in like my family or like there's all, all different kinds of scenarios where I find like, am I taking up space? Do I deserve all of that? And I realized like the same kind of energy I had, I have with my nieces around like wanting them to take up space is the same kind of energy I have as I build just a girl and all of the work that we do is like, I, if, if I want the women of the world, especially women in corners that just don't get any sort of media attention or don't have any sort of resources. You know, if I want every girl in this world to know that she matters and that she can take up space, she needs to start to see it and have ways to realize that. And so like, I try to take that same anti-energy that I have with my niece 
and give it to the world because the women of the world deserve to take up space and not because you know they've been nice enough to take it or like someone's giving it to them but because they intrinsically have it as a part of them being a human being on this plane that mm-hmm. they matter their voices matter and if no one else around you in this world is telling you that then at least you can come to the space that I'm building and have a seat at that table because you yeah. do it's yours like take it I love that there is a space for women to go. And for me, I one thing that's so interesting, and I'm I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. I definitely was taught play small, you know, take up as little space as possible. I still struggle with not rushing through what I have to say because I'm like, oh, I got to hurry up and stop talking because people are going to think I'm talking too much. And then I, at least I can talk a lot on the podcast, I guess. <laughs> I feel the same way though, right? Like, yeah. I, like I'm a woman with a lot of words and there's, I am a very emotive human being. So mm-hmm. there's always a lot of emotion that pushes out with all of those words yeah. and it takes up space. Yes. And I always feel like, should I like, so this is my mom, as she listens to this, she's going to be like really sad and horrified. But I remember in high school, there was this point where I think it was debate or something like that. And it was my senior year and it was like the goodbye and thank you to everyone for like, you know, four years of supporting this work. And I remember I was up there talking, like giving a speech, like thanking, and I was crying and talking and like thanking um, in front of like, you know, maybe a hundred people. It wasn't that many. And my mom looked at me and she did this motherly like hand gesture for me to hurry up. Mm. To this day, I still remember that because it taught me that even my mother says that I shouldn't take up the space Mm -hmm. that I have earned over four years of like leading in this space. Right. And so, right. Yeah. I have started taking up a lot more space. I've, I've started claiming that space. And I think that the biggest pushback that I've gotten is from other women, not necessarily men. I mean, some, but I think. I've, I've gotten so much pushback from other women that think that I should not be taking up this space. So what are your thoughts about that? I think it comes from long-term conditioning. You know, I try to anchor myself in radical compassion, which is like this notion that I will always choose to try to understand where the other person is coming from, even if it's very different than myself. And especially because like, And I've had lots of conversations about this with lots of different women all over the world. But I don't think there's ever been a point in history where women have had full autonomy over themselves. Like we've never been able to make our own decisions or have people try to influence that or control it or in different ways, right? Like even right now, we still don't have full control over all of the decisions of our bodies and like how we function in the world. Like, And over thousands of years of being controlled and marginalized and told we're not good enough, and told to just, you know, be a good girl, just don't take up space, just smile really nice, be good to everyone, and just don't make any waves. All of that has long-term, like, implications for who we are as women now. There's, you know, we're quote girls, obviously, but, like, there's this quote that I love, and it says, you are the result of the love of thousands. And I love that because it means, like, for me, I'm carrying the torch for all of the women that came before me in my own ancestral lineage, But I also carry the emotion, the pain, the suffering with all of them. And, you know, like inherited trauma and all that stuff on the clinical psychology side is actually becoming a huge topic these days. Mm -hmm. But like, that means as women, we are carrying so much more with us. And that's created this kind of dissonance in so many women, this fear. And when I think of women that are trying to tell me to shrink down or be smaller or not say these big taboo or difficult words or, you know, to to not swear as much or whatever it happens to be, right? Like my mom shushing me to kind of like get me to move along. It's because they've been told that they're not good enough either. And it comes from this place of like genuine fear. And like what happens if women of the world all have their voices, all have autonomy, all take up the space that they deserve because they're human beings in this world. Like Mm. so much would change. And so there's fear that comes with letting that go and allowing this new kind of womanhood to birth itself. And so I try to offer a lot of like what I call space and grace 
to those women the space to process their own emotions and the grace to know that we stumble along the path together and so like I try to just hold hope then and like this was something I actually had to fundamentally also tackle and building my own organization because I'm big and bold I have a I have a big mouth right like I say like I'm building a table big enough for four billion women globally and along my own journey there have been women who have hurt me and backstabbed me professionally, right? Or like mm. marginalized me directly to my face. I realized a couple of years ago that all these women started to like resurface now that I was building something of value. And it wasn't because they were trying to like latch onto the value. It was because they felt safe and that there was something powerful that they could connect to. And I realized that if I was building just a girl for all 4 billion women globally, it also meant that I was building a table for women I didn't like. And for women I disagreed with, women that were scared. And so I try to remember every day that I'm one of the mouthy ones, like the big, bold ones who talk, like who say big, bold words in any way I can. But what I'm building has to have space for the women who hurt me and disagree with me. Because at some point, I think they're going to need what we're building. And so I try to hold hope. You're listening to a podcast on the Loudspeaker Network. To find other podcasts and unique programming, visit www.loudspeaker.fm. Loudspeaker, diverse voices, unique sound. Feminist Hot Dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons, artists, innovators, authors, and lots of surprises. Whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. This relates to something else you talk about in your TED Talk, which is loneliness. And gosh, I don't think people grasp the consequences of loneliness and 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 how it really plays out. And I feel like being small, it's related because being small, not taking up space, not speaking up, that makes us hide and it makes us isolate ourselves from each other. And so then we can never really truly connect with other people. So one thing that you said in the TED talk, which I I think I'm going to like write it down and stick it up on a sticky note around my desk or something, (laughs) but that just really resonated was when we are in the shadows, none of us want to be alone. That's powerful. Uh, That's one of the lessons I've learned very intimately doing work in very difficult places. I realized like, I think I probably always knew that kind of statement, you know, that none of us want to be alone in the darkness, but like when you actually run into the darkness where, you know, you find people who are suffering immensely, you know, where people are experiencing the worst that humanity can do to itself, like just full marginalization, full control, like being stripped of everything, sitting in, very quiet, dark corners of the world, like in orphanages or in refugee camps where all of that has been stripped away. Like you'd go into those places, into that kind of darkness, and you'd think that you'd find just only sadness and pain and anger and all of that stuff. And sure, those those emotions live there, but the things that I always found the most in those very dark corners was like this deep desire to connect, like on just like simple human levels. And this like big, bold, unconditional love, that kind of tender, loving offering of just like, I'm here, all I have is love, it is yours. Mm. And for you to then figure out that you can like crack open your heart and offer love back to and find that connection on a human level, outside of all of the darkness that's swirling around you to see that the only thing that truly matters is our ability to connect to each other and to find through that darkness each other through that loneliness together finally it's incredibly powerful so I wear this ring on my hand every day like it's on my hand every day I wear it on my ring finger and my right hand and it's a wedding band actually and it was given to me by 
an Afghani family who took me on as their own. They're like, you're ours now. And mm. on one of my first trips with them to in Europe into their camp, they put it on my hand and they gave it to me. They wrote me this long letter in Farsi, in blue glitter pen that I still have to this day, but I had it translated. And it basically said that, that I am special to them, that they love me like they're like I'm their auntie, their sister, and that they want me to wake up every day knowing that I am unconditionally loved by people that I may never see again. And so yeah. to carry that love with me and know that it's always a part of who I am and to have this ring as a reminder of that. I've worn this ring every day since because for me, it means it's symbolic of the unconditional love in the darkness of how generosity and love beat loneliness hands down every single time if we can just lean into it. And that I am loved by people I may never see again. And people who have sacrificed literally everything they have to just find a little corner of safety. It reminds me that I owe that kind of love so much more than what I'm given. And so like, mm. if I'm given those things, like I need to pour that back into the world. And so it's a constant reminder of my commitment to keep making the world a better place because there are people that I love in it who are fighting and suffering in different ways that I would never be able to fully understand myself. But mm-hmm. in that darkness where none of us are alone, we all want to be connected. We, we can choose to find each other in it. Yeah. How do people choose that? Do you think? It requires an immense amount of bravery. I mean, I think it, it's a big question. Like I, I always have said to people that vulnerability is one of the greatest forms of bravery. And I think that that, there is no other place where that is more important than in the darkness. Because in the darkness, we're all uh, scared. We're all separated. We're very, very vulnerable. And to crack your heart open and to like pour your heart to someone else in that space is incredibly brave. Mm. But I think that that is exactly what is necessary. Like we can't go along in life pretending that we're all just superficial beings anymore. It's how we've kind of let different systemic equalities exist for so long, how we let people get marginalized, how we have genocides, how we have mass exoduses from countries where people are just like gassing children's schools and, you know, bombing entire cities of people. Like that's how we get here is by just only tackling the superficial for very long periods of time and never actually learning how to connect to each other, how to be open and vulnerable to say, I am sad and this is why, I am scared and this is why, I feel lonely and I don't know how to get out of it. Like we have to actually learn, relearn how to open ourselves up to each other. And so the only way to truly break the darkness, in my opinion, is through vulnerable connection to Mm -hmm. look ourselves in the mirror. It is one of the hardest things a person can do to look yourself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like, and that's why the title of my TED talk is the impact of emotions, saving the world while saving ourselves. Like I fundamentally believe that to build the world into a better, equitable, fair place for everyone, we have to heal ourselves first. We have to do that together. It's like this messy soup, save the world, save yourself. You keep making me tear up. I cry all the time. <laughs> Don't worry. I used to be like really scared, like bad about that. Like I used to be really aware of the fact that I was crying, like I shouldn't cry and all this sort of stuff. But I actually doing relief work and going into very hard places. I realized that there are things in life worth crying over totally. and that I should never apologize for crying over really important things. So mm-hmm. I don't. I try to just cry it then. Yeah. Cry it out. I'll just, I, I got to hold it together though, so we can have this conversation. I'm learning to cry, actually. It's something I'm learning to do, something I didn't do for a long time, but it's good. It's healing for sure. But I, I think what really touched my heart is the ring and, you know, loving someone that deeply that you'll probably never see again. And it just really, you know, brings to mind, we think that relationships look have to look a certain way in order for there to be love, right? Like, in order for there to be connection, they have to be wrapped up in this maybe like pretty little box and follow all these rules, right? And that is something so opposite from that, but it's so much more powerful. So I think 
maybe knowing and understanding that we need to change some of our rules for love too. Oh, absolutely. I have this t-shirt that I got in Haiti. It says on it, literally love people first, ask questions later. And so basically it's saying like, please just start leading with love. Just lead with it and see what happens. Right. And I think that that's such a scary thing for most people. Like, how do we love folks? Like, how do we lead with love? How do we offer that first in relationships and in everyday life? It's terrifying, but I mean, it's necessary. It's just necessary because like people, all of us need connection. All of us crave it. All of us want to be seen. We all want to be loved. We all want to feel safe and have this feeling of home in other people. But we're not going to have those things if we don't start to learn how to foster love again with each other and like put put our own emotional connection on the forefront. Like look ourselves in the mirror first and then find out who's all around us that we can connect to. Like that's fundamental. I was in Puerto Rico after the hurricanes and we were actually in this orphanage that was run by this fantastic nun who is like four foot seven and just this powerhouse woman of love and she actually runs a small orphanages for girls that are found in like domestic violence situations so little Mm -hmm. girls and so it's like nobody you can't go to visit them like all that sort of stuff like it's their locations are always secret because they don't want to jeopardize the safety of the kids. And there was this little, like, she looked about nine years old and she was this spunky little redheaded girl. And she just kept, she caught, she came up to me and just like did the little kid thing where they put their arms up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I pulled her up and I just start walking around with her and she wouldn't let me put her down. Like I could put her down for like a second and then right back up again. She was up on me. And she started calling me mommy. Mm. And I was kind of, I was a bit taken aback by this. But in those moments where these, these children are clearly going through some sort of emotional thing, I try to like really ground myself and just breathe so that I can be like not bringing my own emotion to that forefront because that's not what they need from me in those moments. And so as I'm doing all of this, clearly one of the caretakers at the orphanages, care providers, she saw me with this girl and the way that this girl was interacting with me. And it was funny because I speak a bit of Spanish, but this little girl was speaking like in very weird ways that I couldn't really understand her super well. And the care provider, she came up to me and she said, she gave me the backstory on this little girl that basically this little girl had been locked in a closet for the first eight years of her life Mm. and had not actually learned language as a result of it. So by the time that they found her when she was eight and brought her to the orphanage, she was close to that cutoff where a kid can't learn language anymore. Like our brains function in such a way where once you hit a certain age, learning language becomes exponentially harder if you don't already have it. Hmm. And so she was right at that border. And so they started to teach her to speak right at the cutoff. And so that's why her language was wonkadoodle was because she had learned it at the cutoff. And so it broke my heart for her because that meant that this little girl didn't ever have a mom that she felt safe with, but in also intuitively knew what love of a mother felt like and need and what she needed. And so when she saw me, she felt that with me. And that's why she just like became this little kid crawling up into my arms and calling me mommy was because like that I was one of the I was the first person she felt motherly with mm-hmm. that broke my heart like I mean I, I think of her actually all the time mm-hmm. like talk about crying here I am not crying over this little girl but she deserves tears mm-hmm. and so you know I think about her and unconditional love and opening up to each other and like just learning how to sit with people and know that it's not our job always to fix each other's pain, but just to be there and present for it and to hold space for them to pour in. And through that ability to connect, like beautiful things can come. Like, I don't know if I'll ever see that little girl again, but I do know that like the love that I shared with her in that time, it was important and it mattered. And we carry that forward. And if nothing else, like I want people to know that it's okay to be to to be vulnerable with people and to find safety and to offer that to others because it's brave, it's bold, 
It's taking up all kinds of space and holding it safely for others and allowing us to build relationships that actually help us heal and grow together. Wow. Yeah. It's just so powerful. I think we really underestimate the power of holding space for other people and with other people. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, sitting with, I think it's a, a hard thing to do to learn how to sit with other people's pain. Like I'm sure you as a therapist, it's a hard space to hold because you have to put your emotion, you have to learn how to manage your own emotions in that right. darkness, Right. Yeah, and you really have to manage wanting to fix it, needing to fix it, you know, needing to make it better for people. I think that's where I tend to go. I want to help. I want to make it better. But sometimes that's not, you know, that that's not the goal. Just just being present is so powerful. I had so I'm I'm a hippy dippy spiritual girl and I had done lots of meditation and different things like that and I had a, an energy healer once start like telling me that I needed to discern what was mine, like what emotions and energy and feelings were mine and what were emotions, energy and feelings of other people so that I could learn to tell the difference because mm-hmm. mine were the only ones that I was able to fix that I needed to like mm-hmm. create the space of other between other people's and my own. Because if I started to try to fix their emotions and experiences and feelings, it was going to ultimately take away lessons that were really important to learn along the way for each person. It's not my job to interrupt that path of progress. It's just my job to support it. It's really important for me to like see that difference, like mine, not mine. Okay, good. Right. Yes. Yeah. And you can love people and support them and not take on their stuff. If you were trying to fix everybody, if you were trying to fix every, every person, that you encounter and all of the situations and things that they're in, you're never going to get to the stuff that you need to do for yourself either. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. It's such a, I, I mean, I talk about in my book how becoming a helper really helped me avoid my own shit. <laughs> like I didn't have to deal with it if I was busy helping everybody else. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. Much I like to joke that I'm I, for a long time I was a yes robot and it's this like automatic desire in me to just say yes to fix mm-hmm. things to make things good to create like peace and totally. like that yes robot I understand where she's coming from like it's this desire to create good things but in her automatically saying yes to everything it like creates this dissonance and it doesn't actually help anybody get where they're supposed to be going and so mm-hmm. I've had to like learn how to shut my yes robot off and like instead lead with, is this mine? Is this not mine? What course of action do I need to take? And like learn to breathe and step myself back a bit. Yeah. And holy moly, you're allowed to say no. What? (laughs) 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 Yeah. The the biggest, like that talk about a curse, like the biggest curse word. It's no, it's not actually like other words. (laughs) <laughs> so true. <laughs> We're going to have to make this uh, episode explicit now because we've. <laughs> I love swearing. It's my favorite thing. It's like very punk rock, it's, you know, despite the patriarchy. Oh, I love it. I'm getting better at it. It's it's something that was so ingrained in me. Like, oh, I was a bad person, especially the F word. I'm, I'm getting much better at, at swearing. <laughs> crying and swearing I'm practicing both oh I love it (laughs) I'm gonna go outside one day and just like start weeping and like like putting every curse word imaginable like out into a mountain and (laughs) (laughs) totally that sounds very therapeutic (laughs) okay let's shift a little bit because I want you to tell our listeners more about girl talk and I know and just a girl now, those are kind of intertwined with each other, right? Is Girl Talk Radio is something that you have that's a part of Just a Girl? Mm-hmm. So Just a Girl, we use, at Just a Girl, we use technology to foster inclusive mental health and women's empowerment efforts globally. And the way I like to kind of position this as people is like, think of Just Girl as the kind of larger umbrella brand to lots of other different initiatives and projects that all support that mission of fostering inclusive mental health and empowerment for women Mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. 
And so one of our initiatives under the Just a Girl umbrella is Girl Talk Radio. And so this was one of those, actually, I started, this is one of the first things I initiative I started under Just a Girl back at the very beginning. And I did it actually with a podcast. And so it was just Girl Talk. And the premise was to have honest, anonymous conversations on the emotions and experiences weighing heavy on the hearts of women and girls worldwide. And when I launched it, I just put an ask for participants out there on like a handful of, of Facebook groups, like really just three or four. And my home run was going to be if like 30 or 40 women said yes, that they'd like to participate. And in 72 hours, I had 500 women on five continents asking to jump in. And so I realized really quickly that that was not a podcast. That was much more of a movement Mm -hmm. and that I needed to find ways to help women amplify their own voices, to elevate that and to just create mechanisms for us to connect to our voices as women. Because as you know, part of that like good girl, like aura is Mm -hmm. don't talk it, say as few words as possible. And it was very clear that women had a lot to say. And we've never been asked what we wanted to talk about on a big scale. And so Mm -hmm. that was my kind of mission. And so Girl Talk as a podcast shifted into Girl Talk Radio. And so that's actually what we're launching with the the web version here in March this month. And so really the premise is we are a global podcasting and multimedia syndicate. And so we'll stream all of these different content, this different content from women all over the world. And starting first with podcasting. And so right now we're launching with about 100 syndicated podcasts from women on, in 11 countries on four continents, actually. So already from the start, we have a global dialogue that's happening. So people who want to tune in to what women of the world have to say can go to Girl Talk Radio and listen to all of these different podcasts from all around the world. Hmm. And We're going to be kicking off an ambassador program to really give women that are ambassadors the tools they need to like set up shop in their own communities to be our voice there on the ground. We're creating different, I got essentials, a podcasting essentials box so that we can literally send a woman or girl anything she needs, everything she needs to get going anywhere in the world with her own podcast. And we're going to be adding in multimedia to this as well. Basically, like any ways that women create things and use their voices, we want to amplify that. And Mm so we're going to be like the global, the global destination for the voices of women and girls around the world. And so it's pretty exciting stuff. Heck yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. It's, and we have an app that's being built. It's going to come out in the summertime. And so like we're, we're swinging for some pretty big fences. You know, there's, if you look at like Spotify or any of those like major mainstream outlets at Spotify, only 22% of their content is actually created by women, which mm-hmm. is sad and unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And so our job at Girl Talk Radio is to be that place where women's voices are respected, honored, and cultivated, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. So that's justagirl.co. Is that where people go to listen? They can. The, the, on the top of the navigation, there's Girl Talk Radio. So you can click there. We also have a standalone website for Girl Talk Radio. So also it's just girltalkradio.co. Awesome. All right. I'm going to have those links in the show notes too, so people can click through to that. But the other thing I want to talk about, which is amazingness. And so we're going to wrap back around to the first time I met you. So we hosted an event called Unbreakable and you came and you did your Kintsugi art. It was so powerful and I loved being able to experience it. But Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it for those of them who don't know? And then I know you have opportunities too for people to experience this at home now Mm -hmm. also. It's been really exciting. So I am a self-taught Kintsugi artist. And for those that don't know, Kintsugi is this ancient Japanese art form where you repair broken pottery with gold. And the philosophy behind it is that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken. And like the first way I encountered Kintsugi was actually a number of years ago on like Facebook or something where you see this like meme pop up and it's this adorable little broken pot that has these beautiful gold seams. And you're like, I feel that pot, right? Like everyone who sees that is like, I feel that pot. 
And so I have a certification in therapeutic art coaching and this all came from my failed business. So (laughs) talk about full circle there too. But I was like, I wanted to create some sort of workshops that would really help people connect to emotion and, you know, in the therapeutic art kind of context. And so Kintsugi was the first thing that came to my mind. Like it just felt right. So I built an entire workshop around helping women really celebrate their own experiences through the art of making kintsugi. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really emotive, right? Like I think as women's where we're told we have to pack all of that emotion away, that we are bad, that the experiences that we have are because we're not good and mm-hmm. happen to us because we deserve it. You know, like all of this, like normal mm-hmm. garbagey sort of packaging that we're given. And So Kintsugi is this like audacious sort of belief that you are more beautiful for having been broken too. And it's the things that happen to us, the experiences we have that actually shape us and mold us into these interesting dynamic people that we are today. And that it's those people that we are today that can create beautiful things around us. And Mm -hmm. so it's learning how to celebrate even all of the difficult, dark things that happen to us because of what it means for us to be able to offer that up to the world again. Mm-hmm. And so it's right from the start, everybody, like I, Kintsugi workshops are just like a special little quarter of experience for me. Like I love doing them. But at this point, I've put a couple hundred people across the nation through Kintsugi. And especially with the pandemic and wanting to go beyond just me doing workshops in person, I wanted to start to kind of open that up a little bit more. And so we created what I call Kintsugi at Home. And so basically it's a box. Actually, they're super cute. They say like, love yourself on them. And they have like, oh yeah, yeah, really cute. cute. In each box, it has everything a person needs to do Kintsugi at home. And so we pack a piece of pottery in there, all of the different bits and pieces. And we ship it off and mail it to a person's front door. And then we have two different ways that they can engage with it. One, they can jump in to one of the live workshops that I host once a month where we all do Kintsugi together and go through this process, or they could, I'm working on putting together our on-demand version so they can do that at any time they want from the comfort of home. Yeah. Such a good like girls weekend or, you know, something like that. I know there's not a lot of get getting together right now, I guess, but even if you all did it on Zoom, it's really awesome. But I remember being so, I mean, I knew it was going to be cool, but I didn't know it was going to be so deeply impactful for people. I remember, you know, being kind of shocked a little bit, like, wow, this is really, it gets, it gets down deep. (laughs) You know, there was a few people who, even from breaking your pottery, I mean, there's an emotional, huge emotional response for, for breaking your pot. Mm -hmm. And then because we're told we're not supposed to break things. So like, what happens when you actually have to break something? We like yeah. panic or we get super excited or we have all of the emotions. It's crazy. Totally. And you were so calm. I remember how calm you were. And I was like, you know, seeing some people's pots broken into literally like so many pieces that there was no way in hell they were putting that thing back together. And you're like, yeah, that's just the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> But I think some, it's funny. Like I always have people, everyone comes to like doing Kintsugi thinking that they're going to have like this perfect pot afterwards with all of these like perfect lines and they can like sell it in a marketplace for $5,000 because it's so perfect and beautiful, right? Like, uh-huh. It's it just sparkle like with gold dust coming off of it. And the reality is that like Kintsugi is such a tactile thing. And each piece of pottery, it's so responsive to the person making it that it's almost kind of scary when you like to see that these little pieces of pottery bring out all of these different emotions in people that they can consciously see in that moment, right? Like I am angry and this is bringing out my anger right now and I feel it. It's like, okay, well, why are you angry? Well, I'm angry because X, Y, Z, da, 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 da. And then they like release that and then their piece of pot goes back together, together. You know, it's like so crazy to see Mm -hmm. people's emotions come out in real time and how things don't go back together the way that they should. And like how we need to release ourselves of these expectations we have that everything needs to always be perfect. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean 
to accept imperfection and not just accept it, but like celebrate it because yeah. ultimately Kintsugi at its core is about imperfection and it being okay. So like totally. just lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember there were people who like came away with a quarter of their pot <laughs> that they started out with, you know, in a much different configuration <laughs> than you <Yeah>. would expect, <laughs> but it was exactly what they needed. And they, there was a meaning for, you know, for them, a deep meaning to what what it ended up being. So, oh yeah, was- like Natalie, for example, right? Natalie took this lovely little piece of pottery, put it in the pillowcase, went outside, and full on tomahawked it <laughs> into the concrete. <laughs> and like, there's video of it. Like, it's an amazing video to see her just like fully committed and present for like shattering this piece of pottery into, I feel like it was like a thousand pieces uh-huh. and she got done with it. And she was like, that's the best I felt in a long time. And she opened up her pillowcase and yes, it's like all these little bits and pieces. And then she put, she found a way to like put the little pieces together where like it was this adorable, wonderful celebration of like what it means to deliberately shatter something with intention and gratitude and love. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like, I think ultimately that's what those pieces become, especially when they go back together in new and different and unexpected ways is that they become um, symbolic of creating life on your own terms and rejecting the stereotypes and the status quos of what the world gives us as women. And that's worth celebrating in my book. Oh, totally. Our own terms. We get to do life on our own terms. Shocking to think that, right? How amazing is that? Audacious. (laughs) Audacious is it to be like, this is my life. I get to live it on my own terms. Screw all of your different stereotypes and status quos and like all that garbage you're going to give me. I'm going to choose to live life on my own terms. Hmm. Well, I think that's a powerful place to end right there. (laughs) (laughs) But I know, Kirsten, that people are going to want to connect with you. I will have links in the show notes too, but can you just give people a, a quick overview of the best places to connect with you? Where do you hang out the most? There's our websites, which are always great resources. We have lots of stuff on there that people can talk, especially with Girl Talk Radio. You can listen to the voices of women all over the world already. We're, we're big fans of Instagram. So you can have, you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is justagirl underscore global. And then Girl Talk Radio on Instagram is at girl.talk.radio. So very simple and fun. We're also on Facebook too. So on Facebook, we're Just a Girl Global and Girl Talk Radio is Girl Talk Radio Global. So those are the Facebook and Instagram, I would say, are the best places for people to connect. And we're, we're putting out some fun content for, for Women's History Month, including showcasing all the amazing women podcasters in our system and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So yeah, it's good stuff coming. So, yeah, I I ask all of my guests these questions. So the first question is, is what do you feel has been the most vital to your growth? Early on, I had two leaders that at the start of my career, when I joined an advertising agency, it was one client side and one a boss within the agency. And they gave me wonky bits of business that no one had done any work in for a really long time. And just said, go and do anything you want. Like, have fun, like, figure stuff out. Not only do they give me free reign over space and parts of business, but they also gave me faith. And, like, faith in what I was doing, even though I was young and had never done any of this stuff before. And I think from an early start, like, their faith in me and their belief that I would do great things, it helped to create this sort of, like, professional mentality where... Even if people say I'm not good enough or, you know, all of the different stuff they tell women in business, right? Like I knew that I had people that believed in me and that would advocate for me and would hold the space that I needed to learn and grow and to establish myself. And so at, honestly, like I would have to say Steve Thomas and Tina Daniel were the two people that have had such a big influence on my ability to build the kind of career that I have because it set up early in me that I could do things. And that's an immeasurable gift, like invaluable kind of a gift, which, you know, I think probably most people talk about like their mom or all that sort of stuff. And like all of those people are really important, my nieces and that stuff. But when I think of like people that have created 
mindsets in me that have allowed me to hold space and build in the way that it is. It starts with Tina and Steve. Hmm. I love that. Two more people the universe gave you. Two more. I love them yeah. to death. Oh, so good. All right. Walking away from this podcast, what do you want to make sure people know? I want people to know that their voice matters and that they can take up space. Like they're, they're, they don't have to ask for permission to be a part of the world, to say the things that are important, to do the things that they want to do that they feel called to do. Like this is your life. You have earned your space because you are human and your voice matters. And the more you can dig into that feeling, the more you can lean into it, meaning that you can start to shape things around you. Your voice will get louder. The space you occupy will be greater. And that means more women and girls around you will also know that their voices matter and that they are safe and that they can be bold and audacious and loud and messy and broken and healed and beautiful and when we start doing that together, it becomes like a domino effect. And so all that starts with us just honoring our own voices. Thank you for listening to the We Podcast. What a wonderful conversation with Kirsten. She is doing so much to elevate women around the globe, and it's such a beautiful thing. One of my favorite parts of the episode is when she said, when we are in the shadows, none of us want to be alone. I couldn't agree with that more. And that premise is really what this podcast is all about. I love to hear about your favorite moments of this episode. Find me on social media and let's get connected. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Networks. Also, credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. You can find more of the WE podcast as well as many other awesome things on the network at loudspeaker.fm. If you heard something that touched you, don't forget to share with your friends. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time. This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.